Our first reading tonight is Luke 23, uh, 33 to 43. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. Coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And the second reading is in Colossians 1, uh, 11 to 20. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Many years ago, an American traveler was walking down the streets of a small European village when he came across a very unhappy man who was scowling and complaining and throwing mortar around and slapping bricks on a wall. And the, the traveler said, so what are you doing? And the, the unhappy man said, I'm laying brick, you idiot. What does it look like I'm doing? Well, he walked a few more yards down the same path and he saw another man who was also uh, laying brick, but in a very different way. He had a, a smile on his face. He was whistling. He was upright as he did it. He was very carefully adjusting the mortar and, and placing the brick down on top of it, uh, taking great pride in his work. And the, 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 the traveler said, well, what, what are you doing? And uh, the bricklayer said, I'm building a great cathedral. The second man had a vision for what his work was to accomplish. And that gave him joy and meaning and purpose in his work. 
And I think the same principle holds true in our spiritual lives when we have a vision of what God is up to in the world and that we're working towards. It gives meaning and joy and purpose to our service to Him. Now, tonight is Christ the King Sunday, as Jesse has introduced us to, the last Sunday of the year. Uh, The scriptures that we just read tonight talk about the kingship of Christ, the lordship of Christ over all things. Uh, In the mornings, I usually pray from a little app called the Lectionary, and those were the texts that we thought about all week, and there was a little prayer at the beginning, and it said, Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule. So our vision as Christians is, is to see the Lord's gracious rule established on the earth. Um, and the particular way that we think about it often at All Souls is seeing what that looks like in our city. Uh, what does it look like for Christ's gentle and just reign to be uh, established in a city? Uh, maybe we could say, what does an ideal city look like? Well, the Trinity provides us with a model of that ideal city. The members of the Trinity exist in an eternal community of perfect love. At the center of the universe lies a relationship. We've been thinking about that all semester. Um, A perfect relationship, a perfect community. And so the Trinity suggests what an ideal community or city might look like. Now, obviously, fallen human beings will never reach this ideal. Uh, But the Bible does encourage us, by the power of the Spirit, to be like God. Uh, Genesis 1.26 says, We're made in God's image, that we are created in some way to reflect God's character to the world by the way that we relate to one another. Matthew 5.48, Jesus says to the disciples, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, in your relationships, in your life, in the way you handle yourself, try to be like God. In the Lord's Prayer, the Lord teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So one of the things that we're supposed to be doing is to have a vision of the way things are in heaven and to pray and to work so that the earth moves towards that vision. Ephesians 4.24, Paul says that we're made after God's likeness, that the people of God are to reflect His character to the world. So this is the Christian vision. We're we're trying to restore the world to the loving and just reign of Christ. And we know we can't do it fully until He returns, but that is the vision that motivates us. So in our last night tonight, the last night of the year, as we end this series on the Trinity, I want to try to sketch out a Trinitarian vision of the city. And a Trinity-shaped city uh, has three characteristics. Uh, The first first characteristic is equality. Each member of the Trinity is fully divine. Now, since we've covered this for ten months now, I'm not going to go back and lay all the biblical uh, basis for this. Uh, But you'll remember that we saw that God the Father is fully God. God the Son is fully God. God the Spirit is fully God. 
each member of the triune community is equally divine. This was something the early church argued about, fought for, felt the scripture was very clear about. Each member is equal in importance, equal in value. So a trinity-shaped city is one where each member of the city has equal value, dignity, and worth. Now, in a fallen uh, community with fallen people, the exact opposite happens. The city is marked by inequality. But Christ came to place us all back on one footing. When Christ the King reigns over a people, one of the things that happens is equality. Uh, Galatians 3 Paul says, when Christ is reigning, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. That's the vision. Is that everybody under Christ's reign would be equal, equally valuable, equally uh, related to God. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.33, God says, when a stranger sojourns with you in the land, you shall not do him Wrong, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So, in a trinity-shaped city, everyone, whether they're the the, the homeless person, the the panhandler, the felon that just got out of jail, or the banker, the lawyer, the, the mayor, or anyone in between, they're all seen as equally valued in the eyes of God, equally important to the city. Now, what practically would it look like to work this out? Uh, this is something we could talk about for days. Obviously, there's lots of different ways to take this principle and flesh it into the community. Um, one thing I would suggest is that if this is true, then it means one of the things that we should work towards is giving everyone in our community an equal chance to flourish giving everybody an equal chance to become what God wants them to become. And and that's where a Trinitarian vision of the city and the reality of the city bump into each other. Because that's hard to to pull off. Um, I think I shared with you that uh, the New Sentinels asked me to write a monthly column. They're starting a new section called Hope for the City. It comes out on the second Saturday of, uh, of the month. And each week we're looking at a different issue of, of, uh, in the city. And I, I've been thinking and working a little bit on a column asking the question, is everyone benefiting equally from downtown gentrification? In other words, uh, we all know it's wonderful that houses are being renovated and property values are going up, but is it, is, is it giving everybody uh, an opportunity? Is it, is it good for everybody? So I've been asking that question to different people who who know things about this. And and I think the answer is yes and no. When a downtown neighborhood comes back to life, lots of good things happen. Property values and and tax spaces and schools all get better. But also, um, when lower-income people move out of the neighborhood because they can't afford it anymore, even though they can find housing somewhere else, and this is something I'm very proud of in our city, is our city works very hard to make sure people can get housing. You can get housing in our city. But one of the things that that happens is that the poor, as they're moved out of neighborhoods, often wind up in an enclave uh, by themselves or grouped together. And there was an interesting study that came out last summer that Nate Kelly 
sent my way. A bunch of economists got together and they were studying social mobility in cities across America. And they were asking, what are the factors that, that, that cause people to have a chance to move up? Uh, in other words, to have an equal opportunity to, to do something with their life. And one of the things they found was that being near uh, mixed income housing was very important for your ability to, to grow, to, to move up. Uh, and that if you got moved away from that and you wound up in an enclave um, with a bunch of other poor people, that you lost access often to transportation, to jobs, health care, schools, things like that. Now, I go into that to, to say, often equality is a very subtle thing. Equality of opportunity is something that we might not always see. And, and one of the things I'd encourage you to do, most of you aren't going to go into planning and policy issues, although some of you will. But what I'd encourage you to do is wherever you are in life, wherever you are in the wall, whether you're at a high school or a homemaker or a student or wherever you are, I want, I want to encourage you to put on the Trinitarian lens and look around you and see if anyone in your sphere of influence is not being treated equally, is not being treated uh, as someone whose voice matters as someone who has equal value. And, and when you see that, to do whatever you can to give them the opportunity to flourish. Now, a second characteristic of a Trinity-shaped city is diversity. Each member of the triune community is a distinct person. They have a distinct role. Again, that was a big issue in the early church. Uh, even though all the members were equal, they were diverse. They weren't the same. Even the word Trinity reflects that. Tri, three, one, unity. Three and one, unity. They're different but equal. Uh, we've seen that they all had a different role to play in the drama of redemption. God the Father plans redemption, sends the Son into the world. The Son obeys the Father, accomplishes redemption. And then after Jesus went back to heaven, the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father to apply redemption to us. And so... In the, in the eternal community, there's equality, but there's also distinct roles where each one plays a different part in the drama of redemption. And we might say they support and work with each other and even celebrate each other in that process. Now, this is also a very hard thing for fallen people to do. Uh, in a trinity-shaped city, you would have people with different gifts and different roles playing different roles in, in the city's mission. But in our fallenness, we often struggle with people who are different than us. Uh, we struggle embracing and celebrating people who are, are different. Now, one of the places where this applies is, is race. I suppose we could apply this in many ways, but one, one of the ways is race. A Trinitarian vision of a city would be one in which the different races embrace and celebrate one another. We might even say in a trinity-shaped city, uh, we, we would be free of racism. Now, I, I feel pretty uh, unqualified to talk about this uh, or to lead you in any way into this discussion because, frankly, I don't feel like I'm uh, particularly sensitive to racial issues 
and, and had tremendous success over the years in this area. Um, I have a friend, an African-American friend, who we've talked about this with at some length, and, and I asked him a while ago, I said, uh, this was after uh, the, the president was elected, and I said, do you, do you feel like there's still racism in Knoxville? And um, he said that he did, and he sent me uh, uh, an article and I, the reason why he sent it, because it reflected how he felt. And here's a paragraph from it. There are different perceptions of racial realities. What some see as slights, others see as innocent opposition. But there are some objective truths here. Racism is a virus that is growing clever at avoiding detection. Race consciousness is real. Racial assumptions and prejudices are real. And racism is real. But these realities can operate without articulation and beneath awareness. For those reasons, some can see racism where it is absent, and others can willfully ignore any possibility that it could ever be present. Well, when Christ's reign settles over a community, one of the things that happens is that racial barriers come down. That's the whole point of the second chapter of the letter to the Ephesians. You remember, in that day, the great divide was between Jew and Gentile. And, and Paul says that Jesus has, quote, made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. So, in, in other words, the, the real solution uh, to the racial problem, Paul says, is the cross. The cross is, uh, is really the, the ultimate solution to the problem of racism. Now, how do we participate in this, if this is true? Um, well, it is. It's a very hard question because for many people like me, uh, it's hard to see that it exists. But my black friends feel very strongly about it and, and that it is a problem. Uh, so often to me, uh, the attempts that, I've joined in to try to do something about this have seemed pathetic. Um, uh, standing up at a Promise Keepers conference with 50,000 men and a bunch of us hugging a black eye and, that we never see again. And, I, and I've wondered, well, I know that was well intended, but the, what was that about? I've been in sensitivity training. I've been in encounter groups. Um, and I've never really felt like anything was happening. I, I just... I keep becoming aware, though, of how often I miss things. Um, a few years ago, we were, I was teaching a class with the fellows, and there was a minority student in the, in the classroom, an African-American uh, uh, person, and the assignment was I'd given them a bunch of readings on the Civil War, and the, uh, the assignment was imagine that you're a college student during Knoxville during the Civil War. Um, how would you have felt on the day of the Battle of Fort Sanders? And this student very, very graciously and gently uh, grabbed me and said, um, well, uh, I wouldn't have been in college. I'd have been a slave. Uh, would you like me to write about that? And I, I was uh, very disturbed that it hadn't even occurred to me in giving that assignment how insensitive I was being to, uh, to that student. Um, at the 
CCDA conference, Christian Community Development Conference, they were having a panel discussion of racism in the church. And one of the panelists said something like this. I don't remember the exact words, but I think he was talking to white people. And he said, all right, when was the last time you read a theology book written by um, a person, a non-white person? And uh, and he said, when when was the last time you were mentored by a non-white person? He said, when was the last time you heard a lecture or a TED talk by a non-white person? And and I was very convicted that pretty much uh, everything I read and listen to is by by white people. And so um, I called my very patient friend, Johnny Skinner, who refuses to abandon me. Um, and we started talking about this. And I said, you know, I really don't understand this. Could we meet together? And could you mentor me in this? And he said, yes. And so we're reading a, a book of sermons um, and we're also reading a book by one of his professors called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. It's, it's a book of theology and uh, by uh, James Cone, who was a famous uh, black theologian that Johnny had in seminary in the 70s. And I've just never read anything even remotely like this. Um, here's one paragraph. The sufferings of black people during slavery are too deep for words. The suffering did not end with emancipation. The violence and oppression of white supremacy took different forms and employed different means to achieve the same end, the subjugation of black people. And Christian theology for African Americans asked how hope could remain alive in the world of Jim Crow segregation. At no time was the struggle to keep such hope alive more difficult than during the lynching era, 1880 to 1940, that took the lives of 5,000 victims. In that era, the lynching tree joined the cross as the most emotionally charged symbols in the African-American community, symbols that represented both death and the promise of redemption, judgment and the offer of mercy, suffering and the power of hope. Now, I I don't always agree with everything Johnny and I talk about or that we read, but as I was sitting there in his study over at Mount Zion Baptist Church and we we were talking about lynching, which for me had always been something out of a Faulkner novel, but for him is as real as, as if it happened yesterday. I, I, just, I just started to understand maybe how much I don't know, uh, that I really don't understand uh, what, he feels, what it feels like for him. Um, perhaps one way we can further a Trinitarian vision of the city is to build intentional friendships with someone who's just very different from ourselves, who may experience life in our city in a very different way, just just to learn what it's like. I've uh, been very convicted about this lately, and I, I'm, I'm very frustrated with myself because I just don't seem to get it. And this sounds like I'm going off on a liberal college professor rant, but what I mean is, there is if, you're, if you are a white male... There are in a position of power and privilege. I know those are all loaded words. I'm amazed at how often I misunderstand the needs and the feelings of women, of minorities, of people younger than me. Just, just astounded by how often I, I just miss it. And there, there's a, there's a deep kind of repenting. I think that that needs to go on. But, but we need to understand what we're repenting over. 
And just weeping at a conference, I don't think, does it. There's something more that has to happen here. I also want to avoid this idea that, well, the 11 o'clock hour is the most segregated hour of the week, and if we really were a church, we'd have half black and half white. That seems a little forced, too. I don't think we need to set quotas. Um, But how about moving into relationship with someone who's different and just trying to see what the world looks like um, in their shoes? Well, the third characteristic of a Trinity-shaped city is what we'll call connection. And we spent a lot of time on this last week. Uh, The members of the divine community are all equal. The members of the divine community are all diverse. But they're also also deeply connected to each other in love. And that's, uh, or this idea of the dance of the Trinity, the circle dance, how they weave in and out. Jesus saying, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. The Father's speaking of his love for the Son. The Son's speaking of his love for the Father. The Spirit's sharing the love of the Father and the Son with the world. They, they are very uh, connected, woven into one another. So, a Trinitarian vision of a city would be of a city where people are very connected with one another. That would reflect the character of God. Now, a few years ago, um, a Harvard researcher named Robert Putnam wrote a famous book called Bowling Alone. And people that read about cities and things like this, this is a a pretty important book. And what he argued, and I think his argument's been basically accepted, is that cities are healthiest when the people of the city are vitally connected with each other in important ways, whether that's uh, neighborhood associations or PTAs or bowling leagues or theater groups or book groups or business networks or garden clubs or political campaigns, whatever. And and he calls this connection social capital. And his research uh, says that uh, about 30 years ago, the ways that American communities connected began to all fall apart. Uh, And he has lots of document on this. And that we used to be, we used to have a lot of social capital, and that it's declined significantly over the past 30 or 40 years. And he says this is a bad thing because, and he makes a pretty convincing case, he says that being connected is very important to a community, that it makes the schools better, it makes the neighborhoods better, it even affects business climate, it affects how we do business, it affects morality, it affects health, it affects how you feel. So, in a trinity-shaped city, there's a high degree of connection or of social capital. People are connected with each other and not isolated. Now, where am I going with this? Let me suggest an application. Perhaps one of the most sacred things you could do is connect with people. Uh, Perhaps one of the one of the most godlike things you could do is to go out with the guys at work and build relationships with them. Perhaps one of the most godlike things you could do is join a, a golf league. Um, perhaps you could become a part of your neighborhood association or uh, whatever it is that you feel called to do. Now, that sounds kind of obvious, but what I would suggest is the church over the years, has worked against that in some ways, and that we continue to find stuff for you to do in here. (laughs) 
And a friend of mine half-jokingly said that he was in his neighborhood and he ran into a friend that doesn't go to church and they built a relationship, but he had to run to another church meeting. And the, the guy said, hey, can you come over and talk? And my friend half-jokingly said, this is why I hate church. <laughs> it's because I'm always going to church and I don't have time to be with people outside of the church. Now, what we also do is say, well, you do need to go out there and be with those people so that you can lead them in Christ and bring them to church. Now, all that's an important thing. But what, I, what I'd suggest to you is that being involved in the community, connecting people together, loving people, uh, is Trinitarian. It's like God. It looks like God. And it's good for the community. And it will lead to redemptive conversations. But it can be a very holy thing to do. So like the joyful bricklayer, we work toward a vision. Christ is king. He's in the process of establishing his kingdom on the earth. The more Christ's reign is established over our city, the more our city will be a community where everybody has an equal chance, differentness is embraced, and neighbors connect. Let's pray.